0: Hello, and welcome to the Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout. Each week, we explore classic sci fi from the atomic age and beyond. I'm your host, Brad Grahowski, the voice of Brad.com. Today, we bring you the first of two parts of Spaceman on a Spree, written by Mac Reynolds, originally published in Worlds of Tomorrow, June 1963. Narration today is by Brad Grahowski. Let's begin. Spaceman on a Spree, part one. What's more important, man's conquest of space or one spaceman's life? They gave him a gold watch. It was meant to be symbolical, of course, in the old tradition. It was in the way of an antique being one of the timepieces made generations past in the alpine area of Eurasia. Its quaintness lay in the fact that it was wound not electronically by power radio, but by the actual physical movement of the bearer, a free-swinging rotor keeping the mainspring at a constant tension. They also had a banquet for him, complete with speeches by such bigwigs of the Department of Space Exploration as Academician Gublin and Dr. Hans-Gerard Perigot. There was also somebody from the government who spoke, but he was one of those who were pseudo-elected and didn't know much about the field of space travel nor the significance of Seymour Pond's retirement. Sai didn't bother to remember his name. He only wondered vaguely why the cloddy had turned up at all. In common with recipients of gold watches of a score of generations before him, Sai Pond would have preferred something a bit more tangible in the way of a reward, such as a few shares of variable basic to add to his portfolio. But that, he supposed, was asking too much. The fact of the matter was, Sai knew that his retiring had set them back. They hadn't figured he had enough shares of basic to see him through decently. Well, possibly he didn't, given their standards. But space pilot Seymour Pond didn't have their standards. He'd had plenty of time to think it over. It was better to retire on a limited crediting, on a confoundedly limited crediting, than to take the two or three more trips in hopes of attaining a higher standard. He'd had plenty of time to figure it out. There alone in space on the moon run. There on the Venus or Mars runs. There on the long, long haul to the Jupiter satellites. Fearfully checking the symptoms of space cafard, the madness compounded of claustrophobia, monotony, boredom, and freefall. Plenty of time. Time to decide that a one-room mini-auto apartment, complete with an auto-chair and built-in auto-bar, and with one wall a TV screen, was all he needed to find contentment for a mighty long time. Possibly somebody like Dr. Gerard Perigel might be horrified at the idea of living in a mini-auto apartment, not realizing that to a pilot it was roomy beyond belief compared to the conning tower of a spacecraft. No. Even as Sai listened to their speeches, accepted the watch, and made a halting little talk of his own, he was grinning inwardly. There wasn't anything they could do. He had them now. He had enough basic to keep him comfortably by his standards for the rest of his life. He was never going to subject himself to Space Kaffard again. Just thinking about it now set the tick to going at the side of his mouth. They could count down and blast off for all he gave a damn. The gold watch idea had been that of Lofting Gublin, which was typical, he being in the way of a living anachronism himself. In fact, Acrodomitian Gublin was possibly the only living man on North America who still wore spectacles. His explanation was that a phobia against having his eyes touched prohibited either surgery to remold his eyeballs and cure his myopia, or contact lenses. That was only an alibi so far as his closest associate, Hans Gerard Perigeau, was concerned. Doctor Gerard Perigeau was convinced Gublin would have even worn facial hair had he but a touch more courage. Gublin longed for yesteryear, a seldom-found phenomenon under the ultra-welfare state. Slumped in an auto-chair in the escape room of his Floridian home, lofting Gublin scowled at his friend, he said acidly, Any more bright ideas, Hans? I presume you now acknowledge that appealing to the cloddy's patriotism, sentiment, and desire for public acclaim have miserably failed. Gerard Perigot said easily, I wouldn't call Seymour Pond a cloddy. In his position, I am afraid I would do the same thing he has. (laughs) That's nonsense, Hans. Zoroaster. Neither you or I would gladly take Pond's place. Were we capable of performing the duties for which he has been trained? There aren't two men in North America. There aren't two men in the world. Who better realize the urgency of continuing our delving into space? Gublin snapped his fingers. Like that. Either of us would give our lives to prevent man from completely abandoning the road to his destiny. His friend said dryly, Either of us could have volunteered for pilot training 40 years ago, Lofting. We didn't. At that time, there wasn't such a blistering percentage of funkers throughout this whole blistering ultra-welfare state. Who could foresee that eventually our whole program would face ending due to a lack of courageous young men willing to take chances, willing to face down adventure, willing to react to the stimulus of danger in the manner our ancestors did? Gerard Perigot grunted his sarcasm and dialed a glass of iced tea and tequila, he said. Nevertheless, both you and I conform with the present generation in finding it far more pleasant to follow one's way of life in the comfort of one's home than to be confronted with the unpleasantness of facing nature's dangers in more adventurous pastimes. Gublin, half angry at his friend's argument, leaned forward to snap rebuttal but the other was wagging a finger at him negatively. Face reality lofting, don't require or expect from Seymour Pond more than is to be found there. He is an average young man, born in our ultra-welfare state. He was guaranteed his fundamental womb-to-tomb security by being issued that minimum number of basic shares in our society that allows him an income sufficient to secure the food, clothing, shelter, medical care, and education. To sustain a low level of subsistence. Percentages were against his ever being drafted into industry. Automation being what it is, only a fraction of the population is ever called up. But Bond was. His industrial aptitude dossier revealed him a possible candidate for space pilot, and it was you yourself who talked him into taking the training, pointing out the more pragmatic advantages such as a complete retirement after but six trips, added shares of basic so that he could enjoy a more comfortable life than most, and the fame that would accrue to him as one of the very few who still participated in travel to the planets. Very well, he was sold. Took to his training, which, of course, required long years of drudgery to him. Then, performing his duties quite competently, he made his six trips. He is now legally eligible for retirement. He was drafted into the Working Force Reserves, served his time, and is now free from toil for the balance of his life. Why should he listen to our pleas for a few more trips? But uh, has he no spirit of adventure? Has he no feeling for... Gerard Perichot was wagging his finger again a gesture that, seemingly mild though it was, had an astonishing ability to break off the conversation of one who debated with the easy-seeming, quiet-spoken man. He said, no, he hasn't. Few there are who have nowadays. Man has always paid lip service to adventure, hardships, and excitement, but in actuality his instincts, like those of any other animal, lead him to the least dangerous path. Today we've reached the point where no one need face danger, ever. There are few who don't take advantage of the fact, including you and me lofting and including Seymour Pond. His friend and colleague changed subjects abruptly, impatiently. Mm, Let's leave this blistering jabber about Pond's motivation and get to the point. The man is the only trained space pilot in the world. It will take months, possibly more than a year, to bring another novitiate pilot to the point where he can safely be trusted to take our next explorer craft out. Appropriations for our expeditions have been increasingly hard to come by, even though in our minds, Hans, we are near important breakthroughs, breakthroughs which might possibly so spark the race that a new dream to push man out to the stars will take hold of us. If it is admitted that our organization has degenerated to the point that we haven't a single pilot, then it might well be that the Economic Planning Board, and especially those cloddies on appropriations, will terminate the whole Department of Space Exploration. So, Gerard Perigot said gently, so, some way, we've got to bring Seymour Pond out of his retirement. Now we are getting to matters. Gerard Pirajot nodded his agreement. Looking over the rim of his glass, his eyes narrowed in thought, as his face took on an expression of Machiavellianism. And do not the ends justify the means? Gubelin blinked at him. The other chuckled. The trouble with you, Lofting, is that you have failed to bring history to bear on our problem. Haven't you ever read of the sailor and his ways of life? Sailor. What in the name of the living Zoroaster has the sailor got to do with it? You must realize, my dear lofting, that our Sai Pond is nothing more than a latter-day sailor, with many of the problems and viewpoints, tendencies and weaknesses of the voyager of the past. Have you never heard of the seaman who dreamed of returning to the village of his birth and buying a chicken farm or some such? All the long months at sea, and sometimes the tramp freighters or whaling craft would be out for years at a stretch before returning to home port. He would talk of his retirement and his dream. And then, then in port, it would be one short drink with the boys before taking his accumulated pay and heading home. The one short drink would lead to another, and morning would find him drunk, rolled, tattooed, and possibly sleeping it off in jail. So back to the sea he'd have to go. Gublin grunted bitterly. (laughs) Unfortunately, our present day sailor can't be separated from his money quite so easily. If he could, (laughs) I'd personally be willing to lure him down some dark alley and knock him over the head and roll him myself, just to bring him back to his job again. He brought his wallet from his pocket and flicked it open to his universal credit card. The ultimate means of exchange, he grunted. Nobody can spend your money but you yourself. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can uh, uh, con you out of it. Just how do you expect to sever our present-day sailor and his accumulated nest egg? The other chuckled again. It is simply a matter Of finding more modern methods, my dear chap. Part 2 Cy Pond was a great believer in the institution of the spree. Any excuse would do. Back when he had finished basic education at the age of 25 and was registered for the labor draft, there hadn't been a chance in a hundred that he'd have the bad luck to have his name pulled. But when it had been, Cy had celebrated. When he had been informed that his physical and mental qualifications were such that he was eligible for the most dangerous occupation in the ultra-welfare state and had been pressured into taking training for space pilot, he had celebrated once again. Twenty-two others had taken the training with him, and only he and Rod Cameroon had passed the finals. On this occasion, he and Rod had celebrated together. It had been quite a party. Two weeks later, Rod had burned on a faulty takeoff on what should have been a routine moon run. Each time Cy returned from one of his own runs, he celebrated. A spree, a bust, a bat, a wingding, a night on the town. A commemoration of dangers met and passed. Now it was all over. At the age of thirty, he was retired. Law prevented him from ever being called up for contributing to the country's labor needs again and he most certainly wasn't going to volunteer. He had taken his schooling much as had his contemporaries. There wasn't any particular reason for trying to excel. He didn't want to get the reputation for being a wise guy or a cloddy either. Just one of the fellas. You could do the same in life whether you really studied or not. You had your inalienable basic stock, didn't you? What else did you need? It had come as a surprise when he'd been drafted for the labor force. In the early days of the ultra-welfare state, they had made a mistake in adapting to the automation of the Second Industrial Revolution. They had attempted to give everyone work by reducing the number of working hours in the day and the number of working days in the week. It finally became ludicrous when employees of industry were working but two days a week, two hours a day. In fact, it got chaotic it became obvious that it was more practical to have one worker putting in 35 hours a week and getting to know his job well than it was to have a score of employees, each working a few hours a week and none of them ever really becoming efficient. The only fair thing was to let the technologically unemployed remain unemployed, with their inalienable basic stock as the equivalent of unemployment insurance, while the few workers who still needed to put in a reasonable number of hours a day a reasonable number of weeks a year, and a reasonable number of years in a lifetime. When new employees were needed, a draft lottery was held. All persons registered in the labor force participated. If you were drawn, you must need serve. The dissatisfaction those chosen might feel at their poor luck was offset by the fact that they were granted additional variable basic shares, according to the tasks they fulfilled. Such shares could be added to their portfolios, the dividends becoming part of their current credit balance, or could be sold for a lump sum on the market. Yes, but now it was all over. He had his own little place, his own vacuum tube vehicle, and twice the amount of shares of basic that most of his fellow citizens could boast. Cy Pond had made it. A spree was obviously called for. He was going to do this one right. This was his big one. He'd accumulated a lot of dollars these past few months, and he intended to blow them, or at least a sizable number of them. His credit card was burning a hole in his pocket as the expression went. However, he wasn't going to rush into things. This had to be done correctly. To many, a spree was played by ear. You started off with a few drinks, fell in with some second-rate mopsy, and usually wound up in a third-rate groggy where you'd spent just as much as though you'd been in the classiest joint in town. Came morning, and you'd had nothing to show for all the dollars that had been spent but a rumhead. Thus Psy was vaguely aware. It had always been down through the centuries since the Phoenician sailor, back from his year-long trip to the tin mines of Cornwall, blew his hard-earned share of the voyage's profits in a matter of days in the wine shops of Tyr. Nobody gets quite so little for his money as that loneliest of all workers, he who must leave his home for distant lands, returning only periodically, and usually with a salary of lengthy, weary periods of time to be spent hurriedly in an attempt to achieve the pleasure and happiness so long denied him. Sai was going to do it differently this time. Nothing but the best. Wine, women, song, food, entertainment, the works— but nothing but the best. To start off, he dressed with great care in the honorable retirement rank suit he had so recently purchased. His space pin he attached carefully to the lapel. That was a good beginning, he decided. A bit of prestige didn't hurt you when you went out on the town. In the ultra-welfare state, hardly one person in a hundred actually ever performed anything of value to society. The efforts of most weren't needed. Those few who did contribute were awarded honors, decorations, titles. Attired satisfactorily, Cy double-checked to see that his credit card was in his pocket. As an afterthought, he went over to the auto apartment's TV phone, flicked it on, held the credit card to the screen, and said, Balance check, please. In a moment, the TV phone's robot voice reported, Ten shares of Inalienable Basic, Twelve shares of Variable Basic, Current value, $4,233.62 apiece. Current cash credit, $1,084. The screen went dead. $1,084. That was plenty. He could safely spend as much as half of it if the spree got as lively as he hoped it would. His monthly dividends were due in another week or so, and he wouldn't have to worry about current expenses. Yes, indeedy. Saipond was as solvent as he had ever been in his thirty years. He opened the small, closet-like door which housed his vacuum tube two-seater and wedged himself into the small vehicle. He brought down the canopy, dropped the pressurizer, and considered the dial. Only one place really made sense. The big city. He considered for a moment decided against the boroughs of Baltimore and Boston and selected Manhattan instead. He had the resources. He might as well do it up brown. He dialed Manhattan and felt the sinking sensation that presaged his car's dropping to tube level. While it was being taken up by the robot controls, being shuttled here and there preparatory to the shot to his destination, he dialed the vehicle's TV phone for information on the hotels of the island of the Hudson. He selected a swank hostelry he'd read about and seen on the TV casts of society and celebrity gossip reporters and dialed it on the car's destination dial. Nothing too good for ex-space pilot Psy Pond, he said aloud. The car hesitated for a moment, that brief hesitation before the shot, and Sai took the involuntary breath from which only heroes could refrain. He sank back slowly into the seat, Moments passed and the direction of the pressure was reversed. Manhattan. The shuttling began again, and one or two more traversing subshots. Finally, the dash threw a green light, and Sai opened the canopy and stepped into his hotel room. A voice said gently If the quarters are satisfactory, please present your credit card within ten minutes. Sai took his time. Not that he really needed to. It was by far the most swank suite he had ever seen. One wall was a window of whatever size the guest might desire, and Sai touched the control that dilated it to the full. His view opened in such wise that he could see both the Empire State Building Museum and the Hudson. Beyond the river stretched the all but endless city, which was Greater Metropolis. He didn't take the time to flick on the menu next to the auto dining table, nor to check the endless potables on the auto bar list. All that, he well knew, would be superlative. Besides, he didn't plan to dine or do much drinking in his suite. He made a mock leer. Not unless he managed to acquire some feminine companionship, that was. He looked briefly into the swimming pool and bath, then flopped himself happily onto the bed. It wasn't up to the degree of softness he presently desired and he dialed the thing to the ultimate in that direction so that with a laugh he sank almost out of sight into the mattress. He came back to his feet, gave his suit a quick padding so that it fell into press, and, taking his credit card from his pocket, put it against the TV phone screen and pressed the hotel button so that the registration could be completed. For a moment he stood in the center of the floor in thought. Take it easy, Saipond. Take it all easy this time. No throwing his dollars around in second-class groggeries, no eating in automated luncheterias. This time, be it the only time in his life, he was going to frolic in the grand manner. No cloddy was Psy Pond. He decided a drink was in order to help him plan his strategy. A drink at the hotel's famous kudos room, where celebrities were reputed to be a dime a dozen. He left the suite and stepped into one of the elevators. He said, Kudos room. The auto elevator murmured politely. Yes, sir, the kudos room. At the door to the famous rendezvous of the swankiest set, Sai paused a moment and looked about. He'd never been in a place like this either. However, he stifled his first instinct to wonder about what this was going to do to his current credit balance with an inner grin and made his way to the bar. It was actually a bartender. Saipan suppressed his astonishment and said offhand, attempting an air of easy sophistication, A sliver of it sour. Yes, sir. The drinks in the kudos room might be concocted by hand, but Sai noticed they had the routine TV screens built into the bar for payments. He put his credit card on the screen immediately before him when the drink came had to quell his desire to dial for a balance check so as to be able to figure out what the sour had cost him. <laughs> well, this was something like it. This was the sort of thing he'd dreamed about, out there in the grate alone, seated in the confining conning tower of his spacecraft. He sipped the drink, finding it up to his highest expectations, and then swiveled slightly on his stool to take a look at the other's present. To his disappointment, there were no recognizable celebrities. None that he placed, at least. Top TV stars, top politicians of the ultra-welfare state, or sports personalities. He turned back to his drink and noticed, for the first time, the girl who occupied the stool two down from him. Sai Pond blinked. He blinked and then swallowed. Zoroaster, he breathed. We hope you've enjoyed Spaceman on a spree, part 1, written by Mac Reynolds, narrated by Brad Gerhowski. For more information about Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, visit thevoiceofbrad.com/spaceman. If you are enjoying Gentleman Spaceman's Atomic Hideout, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. The Gentleman's Spaceman's Atomic Hideout is written, produced, edited, and performed by Brad Grahowski. Let's wrap things up today with an excerpt from part two, the conclusion of Spaceman on a Spree. He came to his feet again to head for the TV screen and demand an audit of the past 24 hours from Central Statistics. That'd show it up. Every penny expended, Something was crazy here. Some way that girl had pulled a fast one. She didn't seem the type. But something had happened to his 12 shares of Variable Basic and he wasn't standing for it. Thank you and journey well among the stars.